Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Giving Starts With You podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again for another episode. I love having you here. I love your comments. Um, thank you for being a part of the community. I started this podcast about uh, a year ago now. And the main reason I started the show was to share inspirational messages and stories of adversity, um, shine a light on uh, bravery and um, create a community so that we don't feel alone. And that's one of the main reasons why um, JL Keys is here today. Um, she's going to show you, and through her story, you are going to feel that you are not alone. You are going to feel that there are other people um, just like you and me. So I'd like to welcome JL Keys to the show. How are you today? I am feeling really, really good. Thank you. Although I've just dragged myself out of bed to be here because it's early in Australia. But um, I've been really looking forward to uh, meeting you, Nelia, because we haven't met actually before, but we've communicated a lot between countries. And um, I'm looking forward to sharing with your audience this morning as well. And um, yeah, so I look forward to getting started. Thank you. What time is it in Australia? It's 8.30 a.m. in the morning. Not that that's really, really <laughs> early, but um, beside the work that I do here, I still do do relief teaching, and we're actually on holidays from teaching, so I was hoping to get a bit of a sleep in. <laughs> but anyway, I would prefer to be up and be here. So, <laughs> but It is tough, you know, when I'm in Canada and you're in Australia to make, the, you know, everything work out. So I'm just going to tell people a little bit more about you, um, introduce you, and then... Um, so JL Keys is a survivor of a nine-year struggle with anorexia nervosa and many years enduring associated illnesses. She dedicates her life to empowering those impacted by eating disorders and related debilitating conditions. She is a reality therapy certified counselor, speaker, and teacher. Her detailed insights are powerfully portrayed in her memoir, Anorexia Unlocked, Understanding Your Story Through Mine. Her passionate delivery on the topic, how we relate, impacts for the Reality Therapy Institute of Australia, demonstrated her strength as an inspirational voice within her subject area. JL Keys educates sufferers of eating disorders and the associated illnesses through educational programs, inspirational speaking, and books. Each medium shared is authentic, honest, highly informative, informative and extremely relatable. Thank you so much for taking the time out today to come and be on the show and, and to share your experiences with us. Absolutely honored. Thank <laughs> you. 
So where, you know, where does the story begin? If you could tell us a little bit about, about yourself and, and um, why you're here and what you're speaking about today. Yeah, sure. Um, whenever someone says, you know, what's your story? I always say, how long have you got? Um, but um, so I will try to nutshell it to convey um, sort of what happened to me and what impacted me. So I was born on a farm many, many years ago now. And um, I think my story began from the moment I was conceived, actually. Um, but it really embedded itself in me when I turned two. Um, it was the morning of my birthday. We were a church-going family. So on that Sunday morning when it was my birthday, we were driving out of the farm and there was an internal gate. And as we approached that internal gate uh, from the back seat of the car, I went to deliver um, a message to my mother. And upon doing so, my father realised exactly what I was about to say. So he silenced me rather rapidly with a backhanded whack and um, ordered me out of the car that morning and um, told me that I wasn't going to church that day and that I would be staying home. And that's pretty daunting in itself as a two-year-old to be told that you're going to stay home on this huge farm on your own. Um, Completely so on completely on my own. So I dutifully did that and uh, closed the internal gate and just watched the Black Zephyr drive away. I'm aging myself here. And um, it, he did return and I was picked up. But that moment in time was the most pivotal moment which began to shape me and decide who I was as a person moving forward. So what had happened? I had been sexually abused. Um, I was also finding myself as a bright, bubbly, creative little blonde girl in an environment. And I do preempt this every time I talk about my story. There is no blame. There is just acknowledgement and awareness of how we relate has the opportunity to impact us and our growth and development. So every player in my story brought their own story with them and they uh, reacted and responded according to the messages they lived with, according to the way they were taught about how life worked. It was pretty, it wasn't great for any of us, but as the years unfold, we learn more and more about this area of mental health and mental development and what um, is underneath it and what lies beneath there. And hopefully through education and gaining and awareness and knowledge and all of those things, we're starting to do life a little bit better, particularly our relationships and our connections and begin to understand that they are a powerful contributor to mental health development. So moving forward from there, I found myself in this very controlled upbringing uh, with a very angry father um, who brought his angers into that forum or into, into that space. Um, huge religious undertones which really constricted what I could and couldn't do punishment was high on the agenda and all of those things so um, over the unfolding years I took with me um, the message that morning that embedded itself in my brain you'll be blamed I'll be killed all of those messages and it will all be on my fault so the responsibility of everything that had happened to me all of a sudden became mine and I wore it like a glove and so my perception of the world became one of punishment, one of looking over my shoulder and making sure that I became the perfectionist and the person I felt I needed to be in order to avoid all of those horrible things from happening. So with that dialogue running through and creating my agenda, that was the life I began to see as well. 
So it wouldn't have mattered if people, you know, came in and probably accepted me. I would still somehow see it as non-acceptance. But unfortunately, as I went forward, my father decided when I was six that he would go into the religious ministry. So we shifted to Adelaide. And for four years, I went to two different schools there. Uh, the world shrank again because we just mixed with people um, connected to that religion. And... Um, I also then endured bullying. I went to two different schools. It was exclusion, isolation, bullying, feeling very, very alone through those years and desperately adopting behaviours that I thought would see um, acceptance come through the door and it never ever worked, it never does. Um, so we spent four years there, three years down at Port McDonnell, a little fishing, fishing village here in South Australia. And um, before we left there, I was where well, I went down there from the ages of 10 to 12. And during that time, I was beginning to grow and become aware of way people lived and began to mix with people and go, hang on, you're swearing. You've got lots of money. You actually go to cabarets and drink yourself blind <laughs> and you do all these naughty things, but you're not getting punished. So confusion was another layer. You know, how come you can do that and get away with it? But if I do it, I'm going to be punished in some way. So confusion added my, my wonderings about life and how it worked. And then three years later, off I went to Kimber. I'd become a top athlete, a straight A student, all of those things that I became. And the unpopularity certainly was just in my face every day. I was picked on, I was isolated, all of that. So the fact that an eating disorder, and that's in a nutshell, there's so much more to that story, but at 15, Anorexia nervosa found its way to me. And at the time, because I'm quite a bit older, um, the awareness around eating disorders and the fact that they even existed wasn't a medical thing. So for nine years, I just did that to myself. No one asked the questions. I went from a strong athlete, winning everything, creating records to a barely there existence. And no one ever asked the question. I mean, my mother did take me to the doctor and say, look, this is what's happening to my daughter. And the doctor was, oh, yeah, what are you eating? Oh, that sounds all right to me. You know, there was no connection made at all. So, um, but at 24, I was married now and um, living in Victoria. So I shifted again. My life is full of shifting. And um, I met a psychiatrist um, there. And that was the first time I heard anorexia nervosa. And I looked at the paperwork and went, wow, this is me. Mm. But fear just and anxiety just became my life so even though I discovered what I was doing to myself the fears of actually changing that whoosh, came through the door sat up at me but they were never identified I was simply forced to put the weight back on with the understanding that when you put the weight back on all will be forgiven you'll um you'll be fine and we won't have to see you again mm. you know yay but that didn't happen. I re fearfully restored the weight over probably a couple of years, but then in its place became chronic fatigue, debilitating two-day migraines where I just wanted to cut my head off. Um, anxiety, of course, fear-driven behaviours. Um, OCD joined the repertoire when I became pregnant. I just OCD'd about everything and did for about the next 10 years. And um, suicidal depression joined me after... I gave birth to my second child, a little girl. And um, that was the most debilitating mm. of all of the mental illnesses. That's the one I never want returning to me. 
So um, I then went blind to every healing modality that I could discover. Um, I would go into, but none of them helped me until we shifted back to Adelaide with two young children and thinking that this was going to be it. We then shifted up to Darwin, which is the north of Australia. My husband applied for a job that I didn't know he'd done and we ended up in Darwin and that, that broke me. Mm. Uh, fear was huge. Um, Darwin, people from Darwin, you're beautiful people, but at the time and who I was, I could not cope with the environment that presented itself to me there. And my children were just going backwards. My son was really suffering and my marriage failed. And I bought the children home. We'd rented out our two acre property. So I brought them back to that property. At that time, I wanted to know how to emotionally support, support these little ones through that process and that change, that huge change in their life. And I was introduced to a lady called Joan Hookstad who practiced reality therapy underpinned by choice theory. And um, she sort of applauded me with how Colin and I were um, helping the children through that time. But by the end of the first session and with her intuitiveness and because my life had once been her life, mm. she could see the similarities and she asked that question, I want to work with you, I want to know your story. And I just went, no, no, I've done way too much. And um, But probably a couple of weeks later, I was sitting on a balcony um, here with a girlfriend and we were chatting all things, you know, difficult in life and whatever. And she asked that pivotal question that came to me, I guess, at the right time for when I was ready to now move forward and actually recover. And she said, Jail, do you think there was something that happened in your life that has created what is happening for you? And that very question, which had never been asked of me before, just saw me go from the chatty morning cup of mama, you know, <laughs> while the kids were at kinder or wherever they were. And I just flew under her table and shook and went into anxiety and fear. And um, when I sort of recovered from that, we just looked at each other and went, hmm. So I went back to Joan, I made that first appointment with her and um, it was the work that she did and the process that she took me through that not only made sense of why my body hurt, but made a lot of sense of who I had become and why I had become that yeah. person. Um, at that point in time by now I was 37 so sorry that was a long nutshell that's okay there's so much I want to say oh my goodness um, <laughs> first of all I'm sorry I'm sorry that you went through those things um, and I know that you know none of that was your fault and you know from one woman to another I'm sorry um well, well, thank you, but I'm also sorry for, you know, we all bring our stories to these sort of platforms and I really am grateful that you're bringing your story for the people that you will help as well. And, um, you know, to the audience that are listening today, as you and I've said when we first met this morning, you know, it's all about helping others and others understanding that your story is important and it is in, you deserve to have it heard and unraveled and unlocked so that you can move forward in a positive direction in your life. So, yeah. yeah thank you. Cause I really, I believe that it heals ourselves as well as others. So there's nobody loses, everybody wins. That's right. You know, That's right. At the beginning of, of um, our conversation, you know, I found it so wise because you had said, 
right at the beginning, you said that each person is the way that they are because of how they were brought up and their own story. They all have their own story. And I don't think, you know, at the time when things are happening to us, we don't see that we're way too young. Um, but as an adult, when we figure that out is so wise, I think um, it doesn't excuse anything. Um, but it helps us, I think, from, you know, just humanity point, it just helps us understand maybe why. Because when we're not blaming ourselves, and we're not blaming them as well, um, it, it does help. Because we're not here to blame anyone. And um, it, it, I don't know, when you said that, I just think more people need to realize that people have their own story. You know, at one point in my life, I I said, oh my goodness, I realized as a teenager, my parents are so much more than just my mom and dad. Like they're actual people. Like there was a separation there. And now having my children, my child, I'm like, I'm so much more than just a mom. Mm -hmm. I'm a woman who grew up with her, you know, anxieties, with her anger, with everything. And that shapes what kind of person I am, good or bad. So the fact that you said that, it just stuck with me because I think it's so important that we realize that so that we don't blame, it just helps us to understand. But yes, there is no excuse, you know, no excuse for any of it, honestly. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I think that was a huge, that was something that I need to come to terms with because when you first start to work on a story like the one that I have, the one that you have, and you realize that um, there's parents and adults around you that are involved in that story, you can add to your anger, you can add to perhaps revenge or whatever emotions, you know, surface for you when you're beginning to acknowledge your story. And I think a powerful way of dealing with that for us as someone who wants to recover and wants to heal is to step back and be mature enough, I suppose, to say, hey, these are individual people, everything you just said, Nelia, these are individual people that have got their own story, their own messages, their own shaping. Mm -hmm. And until they are prepared to look at that and change the way they are going to stay like that. And so you're hitting your head against a brick wall if you want to change it, um, unless they want to change it. They mean understanding, particularly standing. That's right. Having taking the time to stand in my father's shoes and learn about him as a child. And I did that. You know, what experience did you have as a child that shaped you? What happened to you? What messages? What relationship connections did you have? What adversities and all of those things that saw you become the man who felt he had to go into the religious ministry because that might bring acceptance through to he was really living my story <laughs> as well. But unfortunately for him, he never got to the point of enough. I'm going to look at who I really am. I'm going to stop playing this game. Um, and once I you do that, you go, oh, it changes how you deal with it and changes your perspective. And also allows me, one of the things I found difficult in my recovery was giving myself permission to do it differently. Mm, I love you know, that. upbringing, this is how it is. This is how life is. Bingo, bango, leave it at that. But giving yourself permission to do it different and step outside of the box that you were put in, that was a huge undertaking for me as well because of the fear that was wrapped around me as well. So, yeah, I'm probably blurring on a bit now, but just sort of adding to what you've just yeah. uh, indicated 
And I think that might be helpful. There may be someone listening to us today that goes, hang on, I never thought to do that. Let's, I want to understand who my mum is. You know, she was the one that did all this to me or he did that or whatever. Let's just step back and look at what shaped them. Ah, oh, that, so actually they can't do it any other way. Far out, you know. You don't know better really sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's right when you're, if you haven't begun the healing process, I think it's it's too early to do that. It's too early to put the anger aside sometimes. You know, it's part of the whole yeah. journey. Um, yeah. But yeah. it's incredible because those people may never realize it themselves because they, they haven't gone on the healing journey. They're still in the same spot. That's why That's I respect so much when, when somebody like you comes on and, and you've done the work and now you want to help other people. So, yeah, I respect that a lot. Um, it just... We, we talk a lot about self-love on this show and, and how opinions, people, the opinions that you think people have of you, they change who you are. So all of these things that happened to you, um, they change you, obviously. And would you agree that you spent like, you know, as a teenager and you were moving from one place to another, do you agree that perhaps... Um, you were seeking that validation all the time, not just trying not to be in trouble so you didn't get punished. Like, did you find that you were always trying to be too perfect and it was never good enough? Like, how did it affect your self-love for yourself? Um, I think shifting all the time, because I had that experience at two and then it was added to with other experiences along the way, um, it just got deeper and deeper you know, that need to be perfect if I do this, you know, it saved me from being hit, being punished, being blamed and all of those things. And then it was mirrored in the schoolyard, you know, when I saw rejection or what I thought was rejection, I would shut down really quickly. And even as an adult, I can remember one thing in particular, we we're out and I was in my, uh, I was about 20 and we were socialising in a group. And for some reason, I allowed my this shutdown person to come out and for the real person to come out. And the minute I saw that male over there go, oh, my goodness, we've never seen you. I saw it as rejection. Looking back now, I was sort of, wow, let's see more of this side of you. But instead, so I just shut down again. But so the impact it had, I was always looking over my shoulder, always looking for acceptance. And because the isolation and bullying supported the fact that you're rejected, then um, yeah, sorry, what was your question? Because I don't think no, I'm answering. No, I just find, no, no, it's, it's fine. I just, you know, a big thing for me is I know that the way people think about me, um, whether or not I agree, makes it true. So with all these things happening, um, right. you didn't really have time to figure out who you were because you were, had to be everything they wanted you to be perfectly. That's what it sounds like right? Yes. So it doesn't really feel like you had time to discover who you were. That's so hard, especially as a teenager. You didn't have a safe place because you had home. And then, you know, a lot of people like now with COVID and the pandemic, you know, school was a lot of people's safe place. And you didn't have either, you had nowhere that you mm -hmm. felt you could be yourself. So I just wonder how all these expectations and all these things, how it affected how you felt about yourself. Like, did you blame yourself? Or did you know this is this is them and not me, like at that age? At that age, no. I don't think, I think as we've indicated before, life just happens. And as a child growing up, you accept what is happening around you without questioning it. Mm. Um, I think I just spent 
I don't think I ever questioned it, not about me and who I was and because you don't have that level of awareness as a child growing up. That's um, all you knew, right? That's all you yeah. know. But certainly when I shifted up to Kimber and I was 13, 14 and 15, and you're going through that time where people are coming out and stamping themselves on themselves. And um, if I look back now, I probably did in a way look at other girls in particular, you know, coming into the schoolyard, the popular girls, the ones that had the boyfriends and all that. And I did do that comparison. What's the difference between you and me? Mm. You know, you're, um, you're an athlete too. I win everything. You sort of come in second or third to me. Yeah. Why is that, you know, and you're popular because of it, but I'm not. So then what is the difference between the popular people, the people that had friends and me? And because you don't have those conversations to get that sorted out with, an, with a, you know, a trusted adult, I didn't have that you're sort of winging it along the way. So I don't think I even gave it particular thought. Like I didn't sit in my bedroom at night and go, now she wears her hair like that and her dress that length. And so if I do all of those things, Mm. that's what, then I'll be accepted. But I think somewhere subconsciously I was doing that. And I do know that I started to, um, particularly when I got to 16 and 17, you know, that was the time when everyone experimented with smoking. So I thought, Ugh. so I, you know, had a couple of smokes once and that was it. I, I couldn't understand why anybody did it. But I thought, well, at least if I go behind that shed and do this, look like I'm doing the process, maybe I'll be accepted. That still didn't work. So I was just in this never ending world of confusion of what do I have to do to be accepted? Why aren't I liked? And then I began to put it down to, oh, I'm the minister's daughter. And, you know, theoretically, minister's daughters and police children and that, when they're shifting all the time, you know, people sort of stand back a little bit. So then I began to blame the profession and the career of my father. You know, maybe it's if I wasn't a minister's daughter, I wouldn't be like this. And then I'd look at my next sister down who had a flourish of friends and she was popular and everything. And I thought, Oh, there goes that theory. So I could just never work it out. So, you know, that subconscious trigger came in at the age of 15, I guess, when I had built up in me and bang, if I lose weight, change my body shape, change what I look like, um, then it will come. But once again, it was a subconscious thing. It was just something I went into. Mm. And then when you said like, yeah, it was just, and then you said, well, you, you put on the weight, but over a couple of years, um, I think our video might be for, okay. So when you put on, you know, the weight intentionally, you said, but what was underneath, like, if you don't fix what's underneath, it's going to take forms and, you know, in other ways. So that's when you became, you know, anxious and you said you had some depersonalization as well. And some other things, how could you not? You know, honestly, like it's the question isn't, you know, how, you know, did that come out? It's how could it have not come out? Of course, it has to manifest in some way, you know, and I, I think now um, these days there is so much more help out there. But like you said, back in the day when you needed that, there wasn't. 
And I, I just, I don't I think there's anywhere you could have turned, you know? It's just, it amazes me. It, yeah, I don't feel like you had any, 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 like I'm sad for that reason that you didn't have anybody you could turn to, you know? So I'm just picturing myself without knowing what it is to be you, I would never know. But I'm just trying, I like to try to understand. And I know for me, teenage years were very confusing without all of these things. So yeah, it must have been very, very difficult for you. I'm interested and I'm intrigued on how you take all of that and you begin this healing process, you know, like how do you feel about yourself now, now that you understand and now that, you know, you don't accept necessarily, but, or maybe you do, but now that you understand so much more as an adult, how do you feel about, about yourself now? Um, fine. <laughs> I think there will, because it was embedded in me for so long, um, every now and then you feel something come up and might find myself in a social group or whatever and something will happen and you'll feel that little red flag or that little trigger rather. Um, but it's an easy thing to say, oh, can it, you know, get rid of it. So, no, I've come an enormous, enormous, enormous way <laughs> from the fear-driven, quiet person that allowed everyone to walk all over her and I wouldn't stand up for myself because that was something else that I took on. I was too afraid to stand up for myself because when I did at the age of two, I was slammed and I was rejected and I wasn't supported by the people that needed to support me or should have supported me. So that was another um, message that I took forward. So whenever I went to stand up for myself as an adult, you know, in my marriage or in the work area, I wouldn't do it because I was scared. One, I wouldn't be taken seriously but two, no one else would support me anyway. So, and I didn't ever want to feel or be in that space again with the feelings that would come, you know, in with that experience. And I certainly had that a lot as an adult. I can remember a lot of experiences, particularly when my children came along in the way that I wanted to raise them and the messages I wanted them to have. And I wasn't supported by my extended families on either side. And all I did was bury the anger and get cross because I was too scared to stand up because I didn't want to find out that I wasn't going to be supported and I'd have this battle. So, you know, there are a lot of, when I'm, I'm having this conversation with you and I have realized it before, but every time it comes, you go, gosh, it, it impacted every area of my life. Oh, yes. The way I did it. But now, um, no, I feel fine about myself. I'm so glad that uh, Joan came along when she did. I wish she'd come along earlier. But anyway, because my children are now about seven and four when I came back from Darwin. So I'd already done damage, you know, particularly to my son at that point by giving the same messages, even because you don't know that's what you're doing. You're just following the pattern that you think is right for life. Yeah. So you can't blame yourself now. No. Don't blame yourself because that's what you knew at the time. So yes. don't go down that road for sure. Yeah. But I don't, but yeah. with the children, you know, over time, I have sat down and I've explained, I've said, look, da 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 da. Um, if there is ever, ever, ever a time when you are angry that you remember and you go, oh my God, just pick up the phone and just do whatever you need to down that phone and then we'll have a chat about it, <laughs> you know, so that you can work that through. 
<laughs> so it sounds yeah. like you're an incredible mom. It, it really does. It sounds like you're very involved and it sounds like you're changing the, you know, the, the cycle, right? You're really taking the time to learn and, and do differently. And I love that. Well, I hope I am. And, and I sort of have to because the little girl that I was given, oh boy. Um, and I can see that that was universal intervention. She's very headstrong. Yes. Very determined. She's a performer. They both are. Performer. And um, no one was going to tell her that she couldn't wear odd socks or she couldn't um, stand on a chair at the age of two and swear at us all. We never swore in our home and all of a sudden all these swear words were coming out of her mouth and we thought, where did you learn those from? You must have bought them with you from a past life. I don't really know how they've entered your mouth. But she was, and I actually wrote an article for a web, uh, for a um, Kidopedia, which is a group from Sydney, a parenting website called um, To My Daughter With Love mm. for Mother's Day and it explains the role that my daughter played in my recovery and how that headstrongness and how the name we gave her, even because there was big debate and the one that finally came down, how that actually suited, you know, the person that she become and the role that she played in my life. So she was a gift given to me to say, mum. <laughs> so she helped me let go and allow my children to go, for me to go from, this is how you have to be, this is how you have to live, to who are you? And how can I support you in the life that you want to create for yourself? That's and so that was beautiful. a huge change that I made with the help of Joan. Obviously, I did it for myself because that I handed that on. That's what you wanted as a child yes. for somebody to, to give you that freedom to express yourself, right? That's amazing. So mm -hmm. how do we start, you know you've told us like three or four major things that have happened and uh, each one has their own time of healing and each one has their struggles of how do you start? So where do you start? Like, can you talk to us a little bit about um, the reality therapy and, you know, just where do people start? Do they start at the beginning? Do they start? I don't know. How can we help people that are feeling similar? Well, the people that I work with now, and um, I'll go back to, you know, what Joan did for me. Yes. The best place to start is with your thinking. Mm -hmm. And um, probably how I'm going to explain it today is great, but I also preempt it by saying, don't do it on your own. You know, take the points that I'm making, but then allow yourself to find that person who will work in this way beside you to assist you because um, it will be difficult. I'm not going to say that it won't be, but if you've got someone in your lane working with you and supporting you, it makes the job a lot easier, of course, the process rather. Um, so Joan began by looking at my thinking because when I first walked through her door, I didn't know about the sexual abuse. Okay. It had been buried away and I had no recollection or anything of it. However, she wondered because of the behaviors that I was presenting to her. So we began to look at my thinking and where that thinking had come from and um, how that thinking had shaped me. So we looked at my belief system, my value system, um, my needs and my wants as well. And with needs and wants, you know, what do you need for, to make your life happy? And did I have those in place? And so with reality therapy, we look at uh, five different needs. And the first one is love and belonging. And that was an eye opener for me. Of course, I didn't have that anywhere. 
you know, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere and I certainly didn't have the unconditional love that we all deserve. Uh, then the others are survival. Well, I had that because I had a roof over my head. I had clothes and I had food and all of those sorts of things. Fun. I wasn't having any fun in my life because it was too hard. Freedom. I didn't have freedom. I was boxed into anxiety and fear and all of those things. And did I have any power? And by power, I don't mean power over. I mean, was I an empowered person? And no, I wasn't. So we began to unlock my story. We began by looking at, well, you know, what is your story? What has shaped you? Where did you live? What did you do? How did you feel? What was your emotional status? So I'll stop because I'm getting out of whack here. So we looked at my thinking and the things around there. And we looked at my behaviours. And what were the behaviours that I were adopting at the time that were an indication to why my body was hurting and why I'd become anorexic at the time. We also looked at my physical symptoms. And of course, by now, when I met Joan, the eating disorder wasn't an issue, but fear was, chronic fatigue was, migraines, suicidal depression, OCD. So we needed to look at each of those diseases and say, okay, why are they in your life? What are they telling you about you and how you have been taught to connect to this thing called life? And then we look at the emotional load. Okay, so if she asked a question and I immediately produced tears or I was about to leave her office one day and she asked this question and I went into deep depression immediately. So I didn't walk out of her office. I stayed for another half an hour while we looked at why that question had created that emotional response in me and that withdrawn behaviour that I exhibited at the time. So we started to unlock and unpack all of those areas of my life and what was driving me, what was my main driver? We, un we looked at fear. All right, what are your fears? Why are you feeling like that? Why is that fearful? Is it real for you? Where did it come from? And in each of these areas, is that your thinking or is that thinking somebody else gave you? Who are you really underneath all of this? You know, so we did all of that hard work. But the eye opener for me, Nelia, was when we looked at the relationship connections in my life. Mm. And we looked at how that had shaped me. And or the impact. lack of, or the lack yeah. of, yeah. yeah. The lack of proper relationship mm. connections. And that's when the reality really hit me. Like how, what was my relationship like with my parents? Well, it was just laced with fear. Why was I afraid of these people? What had put that fear into place? And so we began to look at that. We looked at all the other relationships in my life, my married relationship, my relationship with myself. We looked at the relationships past and present and those in the past, which I no longer had a connection with these people, but the impact of what happened when I was, was still living within me and why I was adopting and believing the messages that were given to me, you know. And then out of that, you know, come because I think you're healing, once you make a determined effort to heal, the universe will support that. And next thing, all of these contacts, all of these life events start to pop into your life and you go, whoa, hang on, I'm a little bit overwhelmed here. But, um, if you see that as the universe responding to that person in you that says, enough, I want to heal, then you've got to find out what you've got to heal. So mm -hmm. I had a lot of um, 
experiences come into my life that um, created more fear for me, but it gave us opportunity to look at, okay, this is the fear you're feeling. Let's unlock it. Let's unpack it. Let's see what's truth for you. And in amongst all that, and whether we believe it or not, I mean, I wouldn't have, but this certainly became a powerful message giver was the dreams that I began to have. I began to have vivid dreams, dreams that told me my story. And um, I'm a poetry writer as well. And one I wrote was Centre Stage. And it tells you, tells the reader how the dreams at night became the messages to tell me my story. And that was when the abuse came out and sat up and You're looked at me. And then the memories of that. And um, because if I retold a dream, I would react, I would run and hide, I would cower up against the wall. You don't do those behaviours as if, if there's nothing behind it. So there was a lot for Joan to, to work with. <laughs> yeah. And I was ready to work with it as well, as exhausting and as tiring and as I used to go at the back and throw bricks on my shed <laughs> wall. I was going you know, to ask you, yeah. did you ever um, quit during the healing process? Um, I would quit in terms of just having time out to yeah. perhaps consolidate what I'd learned and what, what was coming to the foreground because all of a sudden I had this enormous story unfolding and alongside of it, I still had to um, socialise within my family group but I was learning a lot about this. And so I was having to wear the mask to go to the family things, then go away exhausted because I was covering all of this stuff. Yeah. And, um, but I want to keep, I guess, at this point to, for the audience to understand that I think if you're struggling with your healing, understanding who you are, why you are, and where you are in life, medication may be needed in some areas like with depression and anxiety, OCD, it did have a role to play. And I'm not going to null and avoid that, but it wasn't the answer. It helped me cope with what the answer really was. And that was life events in my story, which had gone into this storage brain, you know, this unit up here, become my truth and become the way I navigated and filtered this life ahead. And I need to undo the scrambling, the configuration that was going on in my brain and bring it back to uh, what was right for me. I understand. And so I had to change the thinking. Mm. I understand when you say that medication does play a part. Um, I know for me, it's like, it's not the answer like what you said. Just when you said that, it kind of resonated with me because without the medication, I don't think I could have started or been as successful with the healing. It gave me, uh, you know, enough uh, to calm me down to be able to open up and to be able to do all those things. So there is certainly, I believe as well, a place for that, but not just that. There's gotta be some things. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be prepared to look at your life and look at what shaped you. And um, <clears throat> trauma is an awful shaper you know, and if trauma is still living in you unresolved and not reframed, and that's another word I like to use is reframing. So if we go back to that little two-year-old in the car that morning, you know, when that memory first came up, I just went into deep depression and cried forever. And then we had to begin to look at it and reframe it. You know, how was I looking and carrying that event? Well, I was carrying it as it's all my fault. I'll be blamed gosh, I've got to be a good little girl now or all of these horrible things are going to 
you know, smashed down onto me. And, you know, the anger at my mother for not supporting me, the anger at my father for being so horrible to me, and all of those things that I took away, the picture I had of that experience. Mm. And I need to step back and say, okay, let's have a look at this again. What really happened on that Sunday morning? You okay. triggered him, my father. You lost control as well. Yeah, he lost control because he knew he was going to be outed. So he had to silence that pretty quickly because he probably thought he already had, but he hadn't because I was about to. So his fear created the response that he did. My mother, who I thought, why aren't you helping me? Her fear came into play. Her fear of men, mm. her fear of being kind um, of, maybe. not being able to stand up, mm. but also not wanting to acknowledge as well you know if I don't hear it and I don't know about it I don't have to deal with it and we can all just keep moving down this road without having to deal with the reality this elephant in the room here so when I began to understand understand them and reframe it and put the reality back and that's what reality therapy let's look at the reality of it and when we put the realness or the reality back into there then I was able to free myself from the huge responsibility I took on and realised that, no, there was no there was no blame for me, no shame for me, no big whacking stick coming out for me, no exclusion or isolation from people who might hear the story because they would understand it. So, you know, I had to really do a lot of um, turning around of, of all of that. So... It was a huge undertaking and it did take, you know, a while, a number of years. And yes, I did stop and start out of exhaustion, but I was always brought back at the right time. Mm. It was almost like the universe was saying to me, let's have a break and let's just, let's just consolidate what we now learn and know. Let's go and try and have some Sorry fun. Like <laughs> and then I'll tell you when to come back. And every now and then something would happen and I would go back and um, unfold a bit more of the story and gradually over time let myself off the hook that I'd put myself in and the straitjacket I'd put myself in as well and let go of fear. And in the process, I was able to step back and adopt what I was learning for me and give that as a gift to my children. So when Brad, <laughs> sorry, I'm using your names today. I don't usually do that. Um, when Brad at the age of 14, I, I remember coming home one day and there on my kitchen table, the one I still sit at today, was all the yellow pages. If you know what the yellow pages are, they were a book. Yes. <laughs> we had a book that had all the phone numbers and everything. Yes, in it. I remember. Um, <laughs> you know, and they're all to tattoo parlors. And I thought, what the heck is this? And so I, went, I said, Brad, what are you doing? And he even had a design made that he was going to put under his arm. And I said, not under my watch, you're not. And... Um, so we had to talk about tattoos, nowhere in the family, nowhere with anyone we mixed with or anything like that. And um, just something's come up on my, anyway. Um, sorry, something came up on my screen that's distracted me. Um, so anyway, I was fairly well convinced that, you know, by the time he turned 18, when the time was that he said, when I'm 18, I'm an adult, I can do what I like. I thought he would have gotten over this. But anyway, sure enough, at 18, he came home one day with his arm all wrapped up in glad wrap. And I thought it was a henna tattoo. And I thought he was taking the mickey out of me. But it wasn't. It was real. <laughs> and um, that really challenged me. Even though I'd done a lot of work, it took me right back to my upbringing of people who have tattoos are 
horrible people. They're, you know, they're bikies, they're drug druggies, they're all of those sorts of things. And we don't have anything to do with that. Don't ever put a tattoo on your body. So it was, an, but by the time that came around, it was, okay, you're being challenged. There's a little bit of chipping away we still got to do here. And your son has brought that chip in. So let's deal with it. So, um, and, you know, fast forward to now, and this is outlined, it's an intermission in my book. Let's just pop back to where the tattoos are up to. Let's just tell you where it's all at and how I'm feeling. By the end of the book, hopefully I'm there. And I do get there by the end of the book. But it's a little <laughs> bit of intermission that I put throughout just to amuse people, hopefully. Um, and now he's got almost a full sleeve on, you know, one arm. And he's and now you, yeah. And now you realize that it has nothing to do with who he is. It's just, well, it, it's an expression. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. That, yeah. Both my children are extremely creative people. Kimberly's performed in Sydney, around the world, all that sort of stuff. And Brad has went into music and he's a singer, soloist and all of that. He's also a very good artist. And I can see in the tattoos that he's created, they're of his own doing, his own creation. He's putting his story onto his arm. I'd love to see that. Oh, and when you go into each of the um, tattoos, you know, this is when I traveled overseas and I did this and I went to Nepal and I did that and that's embedded into here and da, da, da. And in this compass, you've got this and the jewel of life. And, and when he explains it, you can only admire it. Wow. But um, that's what I meant is. to say. I meant to say the opposite. I meant to say it's an expression of who they are, but it does not mean that they are not, you know what I mean? Like it's so different than the meaning that you were taught when you were smaller, like when you were young. That's right. Like a part of me wants to hug that two-year-old and say, "It's this. none of this is your fault. You probably don't even understand what's happening. You have no clue as to what you did to deserve this. And you, the confusion is just like when you were talking about it. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I just... No, that's, that's absolutely fine. That's how a conversation goes. But, um, but you just said then, you know, um, you probably didn't know. I do know now. And of course, that's the outcome. I do know my story now and all the sadness attached to that and all the secrecy and the fear and everything attached to it all. Um, it's little wonder. I, my life couldn't have but helped go the way that it did. I had way too much stashed away there that needed to come out and um, have reframed through the process of reality therapy and um, the different areas of reality therapy that we needed to lock into, explore and help me unlock my life. So yeah, and discover those keys, those pearls of wisdom that, um, that I take forward, you know, in my life from this point, point on, as you do, you know, <laughs> with what you've had to do. Thank you. I'm so glad that you met Joan. You know, during the, a lot of these podcast interviews that I have, there's always that one special stranger that becomes our lifeline you know mm. and, and that was she was she was that for you and you know it, sometimes it makes me wonder when I look back on my own life if I hadn't met that one person where would I be today and um it's just I think it's beautiful when when we can help one another you know know that you're not alone because you're completely correct in what you said you cannot go through it by yourself. Number one, you cannot see things that other people can see. You're too close to the situation. You're, you know, it's just, it's not going to happen. And you need somebody to push you sometimes, or at least to make it safe and trusting. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, but you also need the knowledge. Because mm -hmm. what yeah. I didn't get until I was 37 
was the knowledge. Yeah. I got the bullying, if you like, to put the weight back on. And I got medication, which just made every symptom worse. So I stopped taking it. You got Band-Aids. Yeah, Band-Aids. But no one ever asked the big important questions. And I think the first question that needs to be asked is, tell me about your life. Tell me your story. I want to know what has shaped you. And I think that's where you need to start because in that way you begin to understand their thinking and how they connect and respond to this thing we call life and the world around us. And until we know that about a person, um, how can we help them? So we need to understand their, those um, areas, you know, those systems that we all have. Yes, and thinking thank All of those indicators, our needs, our wants, our beliefs, but more, most importantly, da-da, relationships you know because that is where we learn you know we learn from the life events we have and every life event usually has at least one other person attached to it right. and um, teaching us you know how life and how to respond and what not to do and all the rest of it so you know it's it's a minefield it is huge but it can be contained it can be brought down and um, a process of navigation you know can unfold you know along there and of course with eating disorders Alongside of doing the mental work, you need to do the nutritional work and appropriate exercise at the time. But that's also for anyone with any mental illnesses, well, exercise, meditation, mindfulness, all of those wonderful healing modalities that we now know about um, also become a part of the recovery process. So, but unless we do the, the working out of sorting out this, the rest is a bit of a waste of time, you know. So in conjunction, it can all come together and, and work for you. Yeah. And trust. Yeah. Trust is, because that's what we lose, you know, when we've had difficult upbringings or, or sadnesses or loss and all of those things. Trust certainly for me went right out the window. And if you can bring that back in and let go and just trust the process that you're finding yourself in and not get frustrated. I wrote an article for a UK magazine yesterday on that very thing, you know, trust the process and don't get frustrated like me. I would get a, a window of um, an idea. Oh, what was that all about? And I'd get just a glimpse of, you know, part of a, a life event. And, um, but then that glimpse allowed me to look at it and unlock it and strengthen so I could see the next part of the mm -hmm. picture and then the next part. So sometimes all of our pictures don't come up and hit us all at once. Otherwise, that'd be too overwhelming. But um, for the audience to know that bits of information will come to you when you're strong enough to see them and deal with them and understand them. And um, looking back is a wonderful thing when you go through this because you can then begin to see the process. And the more you can begin to see the process, the more you can develop that trust in it as well. And that there is a light at the other end. So, so important to find somebody who's trained in those things and find yes. somebody you connect with. And don't be afraid to you know, move on to the next person. If you don't have that, if the person is not, a, you need a good, someone who's going to listen, you know, yes. who's going to really listen. Like, I love that you said, first, you just have to find out the story because I've heard a similar stories from different people, but so different. Like some of the events are the same, but the perception and the feeling that is attached to those things, completely different. No two mm -hmm. stories are the same. No, yes. people don't suffer the same. People don't feel pain the same. People you know, don't take the same amount of time to heal. Everybody is different. And 
you know, and, and that's the lovely part of humanity, I think. It'd be boring if we were all the same. But, um, you know, so I, I agree. You do need that person to guide you, that knowledge. Very important. And I, I just, it's not only the knowledge, Nelly, because, you know, different psychiatrists and other people that I met had some sort of knowledge. Experience. But they hadn't had the experience. Before. Yes. And so if you're seeking support, and that's what Joan gave me. She had her own story of sexual abuse, eating disorder. And so every word that came out of my mouth, even if before I spoke it, I thought she's going to think I'm really dippy here. Mm. Um, and I got to the point where I knew I could say anything because I was saying it to someone who had said those words before or similar and therefore understood where I was standing at that point in time. So I was never ridiculed or laughed at, not that a therapist would do that, but you know, I felt confident that even if it sounded really stupid, she would be able to pick up the threads of that and put it together and um, understand why I would be speaking like that, but also know how to work with it to bring it to where it needed to be for me. So, and, um, and that's the other side, when you work in this way, you begin to identify patterns in your life. You know, so abusive father, abusive men, abusive, abusive, or controlling and I don't put my ex-husband in that um, yes he to his own admission he controlled me through money but he wasn't um, abusive he wasn't violent he wasn't any of those things and the poor man had me to deal with you know this fear-driven uptight perfectionist so goodness knows how he responded to that that you know he's probably so thankful that um, we separated in a way and we have a good relationship now. We both worked at it for our children's sake and he has a lovely new wife and they live in Queensland. It's all, all lovely. So that's great. Um, Joan, so, yeah. I just want to make that point that yes. connect with someone who understands because they've had the experience before you mm. so that they get you. And I think that's a quality that you would bring yes. to clients. That's a quality I bring to my clients. And I think it's a really important one. Yeah. yeah, you know, life, I always say life is so difficult um, already. We all have our things, um, some bigger, some smaller, but our pain is, is still deep. Um, and it just sounds like Joan is your, was your first safe place after all those years. I'm so, feel so grateful for you that you guys found each other. Cause I think also as being your, your, um, your therapist as well and in helping you, um, you probably helped her without even knowing it as well, just to continue her own healing. So, you know, I think it does. Yeah. I'm probably developing her skill as a, as a psychologist as well. Um, I think every client that we get helps us develop our skill better to know what sentences to use and when and when to bring this in. And, you know, when are they ready to hear this? And all of those skills, you know, are, are honed over time. But I will also add that Joan was certainly the catalyst and the greatest support and the greatest educator for me about my life and who and why I had become. Um, but she was replaced way down the track. Um, and that's another thing when people are healing, know that, you know, people will be brought in at the right time to support you for where you're up to. So I did have a gap and then, you know, the universe came in and I ended up with a male psychologist who worked similarly to oh. Joan. And I can see the value of Dennis because he was a man. Yeah. So abusive. He was very kind. 
and uh, very caring and he understood me as well. So he gave me an experience of being able to work with a man who wasn't controlling, dominant, arrogant and all of those things. He was a very different mould of a man. So um, it gave me the opportunity to connect with that type of male because in my work environment, I certainly had the controlling and, you know, I could go into stories about that. And those men were great in the end because um, I learned to, with Dennis's help, he taught me how to stand up <laughs> to controlling men That's in the career. Great. I love that. And it came, he came at a good time during mm. your, your healing, you know, and there are a lot of amazing men, a lot of yeah. strong, just great guys. But yeah, yeah I could see how, um, how that was, gave you a whole new perspective, right? A whole mm -hmm. new section, like a whole new way of thinking about things. That's great. Yeah. 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 So, and I just, because it's come to mind again, when you were talking just before, you said, you know, people can have an experience, but then take it on board in a totally different way. Like you and I might be in a social setting, have an experience. And then a year later, we talk, do you remember when that happened? And you'll go, yeah, and boo, and I'll go, no, that's not, this is, a, you know, and we'll almost debate because we bring ourselves with us and we'll look at it differently. Um, and that's um, an analogy going right back to the beginning of, you know, mental health issues, mental health development. It's how we take on a life event, how we view it, how we internalize it that will influence how we move forward from there. So, for example, my sister, the next one down, who we never, talked about it she sadly passed away from cancer two years ago and we were never given the opportunity although I know I just know it's her story as well but the conversations that we did have our ideas that we bring to the same situation you know we both grew up in the same house but we look at it very differently same so the life events to mine and but you would think we'd have the same conversation be on the same page but we weren't so it's really important to nut in and get to that as well and say, okay, this is the life event. This is how you've taken it on board. This is how it's affected you and impacted your mental health development. Mm. We need to go back and, and work out why, you know. I could talk about this forever, I but know. we haven't got forever. <laughs> you know what, if, if it's okay with you, I would really love for you to come back on and speak to us about um, anorexia as like just about that because I think um, that's going to help you know some people as well if you're willing to. Um, okay. I would enjoy yeah. that opportunity we can make an arrangement <laughs> and I'll yeah. pop back on again and this time I'll put the makeup on and <laughs> well, you get look dressed beautiful. properly. <laughs> you look beautiful. I just I just wanted to say too my brother and I grew up in the same home and we're four years apart and four years doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're a kid, you know, one's entering high school, one's leaving high school, you're still in very different places. And then for people to say, oh, Nelia, what you feel is not what happened. It used to make me angry because mm -hmm. I know how it made me feel. I know, you know, how things affected me, even if they affected you differently or even if you didn't see that I was going through all these things, you know, it, it, you do have to put away the anger before you can move forward, you know? And um, it, it's so true when you said that, you know, even people within the same family or within the same group, 
you know, even two classmates going to the same, you know, hanging out with the same friends can have such different outtakes and such different experiences and feelings. And it's just, it's amazing. Life amazes me. It really yeah. is. So in terms of that one, you know, you've got to put your anger aside, but I guess when it first comes up, you've got to unlock that pain. You know, oh, yeah. what, what is embedded in that anger for you? Forget about your brother and your sister and everybody else, but we're working with you right now. What, what is within that anger and why is it that you're looking at it through that way mm. and, um, and work it out for you? And um, I, I think, think that's a really important step to take. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this, but for me, when I'm dealing with the anger part, um, just really quickly, it's more, or when I hear someone's story, it's more, I almost want to say to the person who created all the chaos, how dare you change this person's life? Who gives mm -hmm. you the right to change who I am? And that's what makes me so angry um, when I, when I do become angry is, you know, and that still comes up for me sometimes, but it's like, how dare you do that? Like who has the right you know, to, to change how I feel about myself, to change how I deal with life, to change how, um, what I care about, what I don't care about, you know, how I feel about myself. Nobody has the right to take those things away from us. So mm -hmm. it, it's so important if you guys are listening and you feel stuck and you don't know what to do, just take one small step. You know, one step is moving forward. Just don't stay where you are, you know, try to find somebody you can trust, somebody that you can speak to, even if it's just, you know, little by little and realize that it is going to take a long time. It's, you know, you didn't get where you are overnight, That's right. <laughs> you know, so I'm just writing this word down so I don't forget it. Um, with what you just said, then, you know, the how dare you do this and that. I wonder if the sense is, how dare you do not validate me? Mm, absolutely. You, know, you haven't validated me and my experience and who I am. You've just brushed it aside like it's not important, but hey, it's important to me. And I think that's, again, in society, we do that too often. You know, someone will say, oh, but and I've certainly had those experiences where you almost laughed at or you just brushed aside or you walked away from. And um, yeah, and so it's that validation and that would make me angry as well. I, I certainly relate to you on that one because we're not validated. You know, I was not validated. You feel, ignored. You feel invisible. And I'm not validated today, the age I am now, I am still not being validated by a family who has turned their back on me and turned me away because they don't want to face the secrets. They don't want it outed in society. They don't want the embarrassment and all of that. So it's easy to scapegoat me and get rid of me mm. and paint me in a picture that doesn't belong to me so that I won't be believed. And that's another layer. So there's so many layers <laughs> you know, that I've had to deal with. Um, but validation is, yeah, a huge thing. But unfortunately, and I hear what you're saying earlier, there's so so many people's names popping into my head right now where I acknowledge, um, yeah, the how dare you. How dare you treat someone like that? How dare you must have known that when you did that, that would be the outcome for that person. How can you sleep at night? You know, well, 
I don't know. You'd have to ask that question of them because somewhere in their repertoire of learning how life works, they learned that it was okay. Mm. And to us, it's just like, it's how so much we could talk about, like, honestly, <laughs> so <laughs> many like, right? that happened. Yeah. 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 But validation. And I think that's what reality therapy did for me as well. It validated my story. It validated who I had became become as a result of my story but it also gave validation to the person I really was underneath and allowed that person to come out and to exist you know in life comfortably and without fear as well so that's what that whole process you know allowed me to achieve and allows me to give that on to people not only my children but obviously clients but also in the role as, as a school teacher when I was a home ec home ec teacher and in a role as a relief now, there's so many times when I see fear in my students and I go, whoa, what's happening in his life or her life, you know? And it's really important then how I conduct myself and how I relate to that child so that I don't repeat the pattern in the classroom for them. So it's really opened my eyes of awareness. And I've been a very popular teacher as a result of it, but it's simply because I took the learning to reality therapy into that classroom arena and, um, and did it so it's been a hugely value addition to my life mm. and you know just in having this conversation with you today I know that you will be the Joan for somebody <laughs> yeah I, you know I can tell that it's just the way you express yourself and the way uh, you're passionate about you know letting people see that there's an out you know so yeah. I believe that you will be that for many people mm. Well, I hope so. And that's not an arrogant, I hope so. It's a, um, let's cure, you know, that's part of me that wants to come out and see what well, waken the world up, I guess, to the main thing, how we relate impacts. Mm. That's the main thing. So it has a huge impact and to take responsibility. You know, I've taken responsibility. I rang my ex-husband probably a few years ago. We had something happening with our daughter and, um, I took the opportunity. I always knew I would do it one day and I was, he was just about to hang up and I said, before you go, I want to say sorry. Mm. Or wherever that sorry belongs for you, because I don't know. But being married to me must have been difficult. I was a perfectionist, so I was sits at the other. And so I'm really sorry for how I impacted you in your life. Put that where it needs to be for you. It's beautiful. Dead quiet. Didn't know what to say. I probably wouldn't have known either. And I said, so, it's so great that you did that. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> and I hung up, you know. But um, I think it's really important to take ownership. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm so glad that you did that. It's like the book that I just released, my, my husband, I asked him, I said, would you mind writing a short chapter on what it's like to live with me? And he did. And I read it and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know yeah we, all, we yeah. all need someone in our corner but <sighs> yeah, we do we thank do. you for sharing your story today <laughs> and we've got to definitely have you back because I do I need to learn a little bit more um, as well about um, anorexia so that I can you know perhaps say the right things help somebody out there as well so I'd like to be educated by you if, if, if that's okay um, you know, in the future, I would love to learn a bit more because I honestly, um, 
I, I don't know a lot about it. And I think that that's a shame, you know, that I need to learn a little bit about that. Um, where can we find your book and your website and all those wonderful places where we can, um, I know that you've got a free course that you offer on your website, like an introduction. Do you want to tell us a bit free about course. that? Yeah. So last year I set up an online business with the view of creating probably uh, programs uh, to support people with eating disorders. But having said that, I could have called it, um, mental illness unlocked or illness unlocked because the programs can lend themselves to an eating disorder or any other illness really um so my website is jlkeys and keys is spelled k-e-e-z jlkeys.com.au and going to my website you will find um a link there to my book and uh, I would just say that the book's going through a revamp as we speak and should the new version, the second version should be out around the end of August, early September. Um, I did that because I met an award-winning author and journalist, not that I knew that, this person just asked if they could read my book and they did and then she wanted to meet me and then I found out who she was and I was highly embarrassed. But anyway, she's traveled the world and done all these things, but she loved the book. She loved, um, she just held it in her hand and said to me, this is a beautiful book that needs to get into the hands of many people across our globe. And I went, oh, okay. And um, she said, but I want to get it industry ready because I self-published. So I did it. Yes. And she said, it is fine as it is. It is absolutely fine as it is. But I want it in libraries. I want it in books, bookstores. Mm. And I know what the industry will and won't accept. Mm. So she's revamped inside at a grammar level and um, so it's exactly the same just the grammar's been improved the cover will be quite different so um, if you purchase it at the moment you'll still get the same story the same inspiration none of that will change or wait until August and get the new version but there is a link to how to access that through through Amazon as an e-book or a paperback there is also, as you've indicated, nearly a free program, a link to the free program, and it tells you about that and what I offer. What I'm finding with people that do access my programs, I think they're expecting as eating disorder clients to learn about diet culture, um, all of those things that they seem to connect with eating disorders at the moment, you know, social media and how to contend with all of these things. And it's nothing like that. It's reality therapy. It will take you, you will have my story running beside what I'm asking you to do for you as a person. And I embed my story into it to hopefully provide understanding. So if they're not quite sure, oh, here's an excerpt out of my life. Oh, okay, I get it now. Let's go back. It's a lot of exercise. It's a lot of exploration about looking at who you are and why you are and all of those things. So it's a very different program. So if you go to the free program, it is 20 pages long. Don't freak out about that. I try to put into it all the little areas that I think you need to look at and give you little, you know, bits of information. So that's the free program. And then there are the, um, there's a three-part program. There's a nutrition program. There's a relationships program as well. And there's one I designed just for teenagers because you're a different age group to the adults and so hopefully that's a little bit more user-friendly. So all of those can be found via my website. Wonderful. I think I'm done. <laughs> I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much. 
um, I think it's going to really help help the listeners. So I appreciate you coming on here and sharing with us and teaching us and spreading your wisdom. And I've enjoyed being here and particularly getting to know you more as a person rather than just an email conversation. <laughs> yes, thank you. I love meeting new people. And, and, you know, I'm not one for small talk. I like to just get right in there. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I just like, I would much rather have, you know, a deep one-on-one -on -one conversation where it actually means something. I'm That's not right. a small talk. Yeah. I feel very uncomfortable with small talk. <laughs> yeah, you want to get something out of it out of the conversation and you want to give something you know from your knowledge but for somebody else's knowledge bank yes. as well yeah. thank you it was so a thank pleasure you meeting you yeah same here thank you. thank you for tuning in to this week's episode if you enjoyed what you heard please subscribe or leave a review see you next week on the giving starts with you podcast